We are Living Hope Church, a new church plant for North Sarasota. We are all about Jesus. We are for this community, and we're striving to be fully devoted to Jesus and make followers of him, no matter the age, the next generation, or above. And this week is our final message in our series of Philippians. You made it. We're here. It was about five months we've been here, going verse by verse to try to understand how do we run our race with joy. And I don't know about you all, but it's been life-changing for me. Help me to see truly how my joy, my peace, contentment come from Jesus. And this book has kept me running when I've stumbled and when I've had some, some difficult moments over the last few months. And I hope it's been that life-giving to you as well. When we finish one series, we look forward to starting another. And by the way, if you don't uh, have a Bible or um, uh, the handout for the worship, those supplies are, are on the back table there. Feel free to help yourself if that will be help to you. Uh, but our next series will be of Women of Faith. The whole month of May, we have, we have Mother's Day that one week. But Pastor Dennis and I thought, there are so many good examples of godly women of faith from the Bible, Old Testament and New. Why don't we make a whole month of it? And that will be our May series. And then we get to June, we'll start a series on the names of God. And that will be our entire summer, just going deep in the Word to see who does God reveal Himself to be, and what does that change about our life. But i got to tell you, our last part of Philippians, we're going out with a bang, okay? We're, we're going to the topic of giving. Yes, giving. That's a sermon that every preacher likes to preach, right? <laughs> money. Let's talk about money. See, that's the beautiful thing about preaching through a book of the Bible. I don't get to decide what the next Sunday's message is. The Lord has decided for us, and he says, you all need to learn a thing or two about generosity. So this is for me as well. Um, but I, I thought to myself, why do people shy away from this topic? What, what is about money that's so sticky? I don't know. Maybe the first thing is inflation. <laughs> because by the time I'm done with this sentence, groceries will cost about 10% more than they did last week when you got groceries. So I know money is always tight and we're always trying to, to save a buck or two on the corner. I think Honestly, probably one of the biggest reasons is that when a lot of people talk about money in the church or our Christian walk, they talk at it with the approach of let's guilt and shame people until they give. Let's drop the hammer on them. Let's make them squirm in their seat. And I've, I've even heard of this. Some televangelists, uh, so-called uh, faith preachers, they pass a trash can around to their audience and they tell them, you give by faith and this trash can will be filled. And when it doesn't get filled, they guilt and shame people, and they pass that trash can around again. And they won't let people leave the service until that can is full. That has happened. And that is shameful, and God will take care of that dishonesty from the pulpit. But I don't want the negative examples to take away the beauty of God's word and what he teaches us about giving. Jesus taught more on finances than he did heaven and hell Combined. Let that sink into your brain for a moment. Could it be Jesus was one of the most practical preachers, the, the most practical preacher of all time, because he is the living word, and he knows what we do with our money says the most about our priorities and our love for God and our joy and our contentment than anything else. So whether or not uh, you feel a little sticky about, about talking about money. I think we can all understand Jesus has something to say to us today. 
And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in these final verses, Philippians 4, verses 14 to 23, will show us that in order to run our race with joy, we need to understand something about God, and that's this. God is a radically generous God, and his church should reflect his generosity. So let's read this passage, starting at verse 14. Paul's talking to Philippians. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered with me into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen, church? And I'll just read that final greeting. This isn't the meat of his teaching, but it's his goodbye. It's his farewell. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So God is a radically generous God. It's an implicit truth at the beginning that Paul then just full-on declares and displays for us at the end that how God treats us in Christ Jesus. And in there, we're given four reasons why Christians should be generous givers. Not out of guilt and shame. That's taken care of. But here's four positive reasons why. First of all, we should care for the need. That's, a, that's verses 14 to 16, several times throughout there. The Philippians sent a financial gift so to support Paul while he was in prison. You know, he wrote the book of Philippians from prison in Rome. He's, he's under arrest. His life is on trial. And what's he going to do? How's he going to work? How's he going to provide for himself? Well, the Philippians hear about his need and they are moved to respond. They send a gift, a generous gift. A financial gift because they knew that Paul could not support himself and yes they could have said well God will take care of it but they felt moved to meet the needs of someone in need yes God will take care of it we want God to work through us Paul, here here take this gift and they sent it with a man named Epaphroditus now what was the gift because they didn't have checks back then well in verse 18 we're given a clue that I think is significant he calls it a fragrant offering you see, in that time period, a generous gift, a wealthy gift, could be given in the form of a perfume box, either out of, made out of alabaster or another precious substance, and then the, the perfume itself was, was a wealthy thing. So if you wanted to move some money around or you wanted to give a gift to somebody, oftentimes it would take the place of this fragrant perfume or box. So it appears that's the kind of offering that Epaphroditus bought. Of course, what's Paul going to do with fancy perfume or cologne in prison? Well, most likely they would have then sold it and he would have been able to take care of his needs. And he says, this was so kind of you. Verse 14, 
I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word kind, but, you know, okay, kids, let's be kind to each other. Let's share our toys. Well, I did some word study, and that word kind, it means going above and beyond. Way generous. Way more generous than you need to be. So they didn't give Paul a McDonald's gift card. We're talking about a gift of extravagance. This is the same word used in Mark 7:37 when Jesus is traveling around ministering and he makes the deaf to hear, he makes the blind to see. He is extravagantly showing how much he can supply the needs of everyone who calls on his name and this is how the people respond. This is what they say. They say he does all things well. In other words, he is so kind. Our Jesus is so kind. So when Paul says, Philippian church, you are so kind. What's he really saying? You remind me of Jesus. That heart and generosity, that is so hard to find. I have found that anywhere in this earth, other than someone who has a relationship to Jesus Christ, you just, you're not looking for anything in return. You gave out of Love out of no obligation. It's not like we're related by blood. Jesus was kind. He cared for the needy. So Christians, we love, we care for the needy. And actually, the Philippians were habitual givers. We're told in verse 16, they gave again and again. When Paul and Silas were thrown in prison and then eventually released, they were asked to leave town. It was abrupt. They hadn't had planned for that. It was clearly God's direction. But what now? Well, it tells us when they went to Thessalonica, the next city, the, the, the early church plant at Philippi sent something to them. Hey, here, this can kind of keep you going. Now you do over there what you've done here and spread the gospel. Paul, we're backing you. We, we see your need. You've been thrown out of town. We're going to help get you going. And I try to think of an illustration for this, and there's just no better illustration than the flesh and blood body of Christ that we have right here in front of us. I have seen you all show so much kindness and generosity even this past month. Uh, our men heard of a man in need, and they collected money and resources to, to meet his need. Out of no obligation. We have no obligation to him. Don't know what's going to happen with him next, but we knew there was a need, and we, we need to meet it. You also have given each other time. You've taken time to share the gospel with those in need. You've taken time to meet together and pray together and care for each other's needs, to, to cook food for each other and share meals, to share life together. You also, over the period of a few months, have been giving love and time to an unbeliever who's been coming and visiting on Sundays. And you've been getting to know him and after service, rather than feeling the obligation to tear down, some of you have stuck around and answered his questions about the gospel. And I talked to this man on the phone this past week. He's in another state now, but he says, I have given my life to Jesus. I was unrighteous, and Jesus is the one pure one, and, and I believe in him. And I said, okay, Corey, now, now who are you? You were unrighteous, and then you met Jesus. He's like, now I'm the righteous one in Romans. And so you all had a part in that. If that is a genuine confession of faith, he will spend eternity in heaven. Can you put a price tag on that? What, what does it cost us to set up and tear down on Sunday morning? It costs us some sweat, but he gained eternal life. 
praise God for that. That is the illustration of caring for the needy. And is there a greater need than the spiritual need of the soul to know his maker or her maker? There are spiritual orphans all around us. And we know better than anyone what it was like before we came to Jesus. We were that dirty jar, right kids? All of us, sinners. And we needed Jesus to save us, and he did. And now we have the good news. We must go and share it. And if it means we, we have to, it costs us something. It costs us money. It costs us time. It costs us uh, maybe some family time at home. Instead, you invite that neighbor over for dinner. And maybe it's a little awkward at first, but you reach a soul with the good news of Christ. Now, we as a new church, we're striving to reach this entire area for Christ. And we want to see roots set down that will last decades, generations. If the Lord doesn't come back in the next couple of years, then he may. I'm prepared for it. But if he doesn't, I want to see him plant a church that will be a healthy, disciple-making church for centuries to come. Don't you want to see that as well? So that means, what will it take now to set a healthy foundation for the future? I'd be lying to you if I didn't say, well, finances are a part of that. We have some supporting churches and individuals that have pooled resources so that we could get this going. And we have some supporters that will stay with us for a couple of years. But in a couple of years, we should be growing to the point where we can support the ministry that God's given us. And we step forward by faith and say, we are committed to this work. We are going to give. Now, I'm not twisting your arm. I'm not telling you to fill a trash can. But if we really want to see God work, if we really want to see him meet the needs of the people around us, well, then it's going to take sacrifice. Money is part of it, but also investing time. What about your spiritual gifts, the gifts to serve? Why do we call it a gift? It's from our Father for the purpose of serving others. Do you have the gift of serving, the ministry? Do you have the gift of compassion, the leadership? Do you have the gift of, of working with little ones? And even if you want to call it a gift, are you willing to pour into the little ones? We will help equip you for that. And as we give generously to meet needs, God blesses. Because what we're really saying when we give is point number two. We are partners in gospel ministry. We're partners together. That's what the church of Philippi said. That's what Paul said to them. In verse 14, he says, you shared in my trouble. That word shared, it's partakers, fellowship. Now, we have no problem sharing a good meal together. But do we think of church as we are sharing this ministry together? Pastor Josh might do the preaching, but, but Alexis also leads with singing. And we have Courtney helping with tech and with children. Then we have Chris working with the little ones and preparing the children's message and communicating to me what curriculum needs to be ordered each week. We're partners in this. Linda greeting at the door. Every single one of us play a part. And it breaks my heart that there's so many churches where most of the church are sitting on the sidelines, just taking in information and not investing. That's where the joy is. The joy is in generosity. It's ingenious. We give what we have and God blesses. But if you're just sitting there, you are missing out. Like this sobering thought, verse 15. Paul says, no other church entered with me into giving and receiving, but you only. Folks, I know some of us have been hurt by people. Maybe it's family members that didn't keep up their obligations. 
to help with something financially, uh, or someone made you a promise they were going to deliver on something, and then they didn't, and that left you holding the bag, left you holding the receipt. Or maybe you've been a part of a church where they manipulated and they twisted and they were greedy and they wanted only your money and, and that left a bad taste in your mouth. I, I understand. You know what Paul says here? These churches missed out because they did not partner together for the ministry. He's not slamming them. He's not calling them wicked and evil, but you're missing out. The joy is in the partnership. The Philippian church saw an opportunity. We want to get in on the ground floor. God is doing a new work here in Philippi and then Thessalonica. Are you kidding me? The returns on that are going to be insane. We, we've got to be a part of it. Hey, I'll, I'll give a dollar here or Epaphroditus. He can, he can take a couple days off work and he can go here. And they're just they're in it. They want to see the gospel go forward because they see it's an invitation. God's inviting them in. And one thing that our dollars can do is they can go to places that we physically cannot. How many of you are in a place right now to go and be a missionary in Sudan? Or to go and help in Italy or Turkey or Malaysia? Do you know there are like-minded believers serving in these places all around the world? But they're there sacrificing their time and their life. And we get to be a part of sending them there with our dollars. And we get to partake in the same fruit that they have. That's what Paul says here. You Philippians, from, from Philippians 1 verse 5, he says, You gave from the beginning, and we've seen this fruit. You are a part of this with me. In fact, let me, uh, let me find it here. Yeah, you entered into partnership with me, giving and receiving. So any success that Paul has, quote unquote, God blesses the fruit of his ministry. That's not all on Paul. That's the church. Because Jesus didn't say, hey, um, Paul, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. No, he said, I'm going to build my church. The gathering of believers, when we work together for something bigger than ourselves, the mission of God, for the glory of God, to reach the nations for God, God does something amazing. So I know we say Paul was the greatest missionary ever after Jesus. You know why? Because there were sending churches, and there were partnering churches, and there were journeymen who went with him on his missionary trips and said, hey, let me help for a couple months, let me help for a year. Or, or we're going we're gonna to cook meals for you. We're going to open up our home while you're here in our town. Man, that's just like church planting, isn't it? It's not give everything or be like Paul. It's give what you have. Partner with us in fellowship, in worship, in ministry, in evangelism, and outreach. Get off the sidelines. Sow some seeds. Watch what God does and what he builds. We're walking by faith here. And we're advancing the gospel every time we meet, every time we fellowship, every time we greet someone at the door. We are partners. Now, is it worth it to sacrificially give? That's the question. No doubt we are partnering and we are fellowshipping. But, but is it worth it? Is it really better to give than to receive? Is it better to send than to hoard? Number three, God multiplies our gifts. 
God multiplies our gifts, no matter what size they are. Look clearly at verse 17. Actually, I think I think there's a graphic up there. Could you throw that up for me, Courtney? I don't want to I don't want to um, advance past this because this is important. As we soak in these truths, we also dream about the future. I know God's blessing this church, and He will continue to bless. And as we grow, I want us already to be thinking: What resources can we be prepared to send ahead so God will plant other churches through us? It's already in our DNA. Look at our small groups. We have divested leadership, and we have multiple hosts, and we have people bringing food and praying for each other and caring for each other. In fact, in our small group on Wednesday, what a sweet time that was. We had to shut it down at like 8.30. We were going to keep going. <laughs> it just went on. The fellowship was so sweet. But one of the things that was said is it's kind of like our small group is, is the first point of care for someone in need. Bingo. That's it. We're not waiting for someone else to say, Oh, I'm rich. I can help take care of that need. No, it's the people you're in proximity with. The people you're growing in Christ next to each other. They say, oh, are you sick? Let's cook you a meal. Hey, you need someone to cut your grass? You need help moving some cabinets? Let's do this together. When we embrace that calling right now, we partner together. One day, this will be our future. We'll be a church that plants churches because we'll partner with other churches to advance the kingdom. And when we do, God multiplies our gifts. All right, here we are, back in verse 17. Paul says, I don't just seek the gift. It's not just about the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, fruit, that's a financial term he's actually using there. And that financial term talks about the idea of compounding interest. So, Corey, if you'd be so good as to put up the next graphic up here. I just, I took this off the website of J.P. Morgan because this is, th these are not my finances and they're not yours either. This is just a random guy named Chris and another guy named Bill and a lady named Susan. And this is for comparison because um, kids, you might have to ask adults uh, for help understanding this later. We might figure it out. You're pretty bright. But this is a chart of what happens when you give a certain amount towards the future on a regular basis. Now, retirement, kids, that's when you get to an age where you either don't need to work anymore or you're not as strong and able to work on a regular basis. So you're going to need to get some money from the money you've been saving over time and investing. Okay? So if Chris starts investing at the age of 25, I, th I think it averages out to like $400 a month. That might be way high for some of us and way low for others. I just picked this graph because it's kind of, you know, this is like how they typically illustrate it. If he gives about $400 a month, starting at the age of 25, how much is he going to have at the age of 30? Not that much more, right? The graph hasn't moved that much. What about at the age of 40? A little bit more. What about 55? What if he keeps laying up money but doesn't take any of it out of the account at the age of 65? How much will he have? Chris will have $1.1 million based on those projections. And if you add up what he gave all those months for 40 years, he gave $200,000. Over the course of his life, he gets $1.1 
how does that work like that? And why is there such a big jump here in the last two decades of his life? It's compounding interest. You give even a little bit at the beginning of your life, but as you keep going, that interest doubles. In the same way, in God's kingdom, we pour ourselves out and we sow seeds and we give money and you might not see a big return on that investment right away. I wish we did. <laughs> and some, some people do and some churches do. God bless them. I just, that hasn't been my story. I don't know if it's been your story either. But you don't see that investment right up front. And it can become discouraging and say, well, why give it all? I mean, it's hardly moved. It's been given for five years. That's not the point. We don't give so we see the fruit right away. We give so that in the long run, God's kingdom is advancing. Fruit is being multiplied. And something as simple as loving a child in Jesus' name will have a lifelong impact for that one life. And then imagine all the lives that that one life touches and their future family, their kids and grandkids. Your example today sets a fruitful course for eternity. That's the potential we have, the power we have when we give. Whether we're talking financially, whether we're talking our time. Jesus said, if you give someone a cup of water in my name, no one can take that reward away from you. So imagine when you get to heaven, and your whole life you've been toiling for the Lord, you've been working, you've been serving and giving, and you wonder, was it all worth it? And Jesus is going to show you all these rewards for things that you did that you completely forgot about. Now, what person you were nice to in the grocery store and shared a gospel track with or invited to church, you forgot all about it. Forty years later, you, you meet Jesus at the gates and you find out what difference that made in someone's life. God multiplies the gifts. It's not you and I. Let's just give, give, give. Let's give more and and eventually we'll see something built. God builds it. And people are our most valuable resource. We pray that he'll multiply people and disciples who follow Jesus with their whole heart. Chip Ingram, he wrote a book called The Genius of Generosity. So I have to give credit. That's kind of where I got the title for the sermon. I just couldn't find a better, a better way to say it. So I'll give credit. Chip Ingram wrote a really good, simple book on the genius of generosity. And he, he had this to say. Hey, churches, stop being concerned with how many people attend your church and start being overly concerned with what kind of people you are sending back out. Not about how many come in. It's the quality of the people we're sending out. Living Hope Church, are we succeeding to what God's called us to? Look at the quality of work that God is doing around us, even in our young ones. That's a healthy church. That's what discipleship is, quality over quantity. And we trust that God will grow the quantity. I got another chart for you. I'm just full of visuals today. I know. Because when we're talking about finances or giving or people, it's just helpful to have a visual. So here's modern day discipleship. A lot of churches. Come attend for a while, and then if you're really feeling up to it, you can connect, plug into a small group, you know, make some friends. If you're really feeling, feeling super spiritual, maybe try serving, you know. Use your gifts a little bit. 
And then eventually one day when you reach a spiritual maturity, then go and make a disciple. Do you see how that funnel works? Well, what happens if that's the approach of all the churches? What's coming out the bottom? It's an inverted funnel. So only a few drops are coming out the bottom, and they're coming out slower than they could. But what if we do discipleship the way Jesus did it? And we say, I'm going to find one person to disciple and lead towards Jesus. Or three people. Three people in my inner circle. Or I'm a part of a small group of, of eight to ten. We're going to pour into those. And everyone goes, and they go and pour into someone. And they pour into someone, and they pour into someone. Now what's the funnel doing? Changing the world. Jesus started with a small group of disciples and they changed the world. In fact, in Acts 17, this is the story of Thessalonica. What happens after Paul leaves Philippi? Riots are starting because they're so upset at what the gospel is doing to their community. They're wanting to throw these guys in jail, they're wanting to beat them, they hate them, they hate the gospel news that they're bringing. And this is what the unbelievers say. These men have turned the world upside down. Turned the world upside down. Just a handful of men who preached the gospel and made disciples. And even the unbelievers could see this is world changing. If we don't get this under control, people aren't going to be buying our idols anymore. Praise God for that. And I pray for those clubs in this area to close down. I pray for the drug dealers to go out of business. But we can put our money towards uh, drug relief programs and foster programs, and we can give uh, extra money in our taxes towards education. Sure, yeah, let's just throw money at it. That'll make all the problems go away. Jesus' way is best. Make disciples. And a life that's changed by the gospel will no longer have an appetite for those things. But it takes time, and it takes investment, and it takes patience and sacrifice. And why do we do that? Here's the last point. I'll be done. Because God is worthy of our gifts. Because God is worthy. That's why we take our time and we invest. Paul says the gift you sent, it was a sacrifice. Acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So that sweet-smelling offering didn't just smell good to Paul. He said in God's nostrils, it was a pleasing smell. Because he saw you were giving it from a heart like Jesus. God saw that. And God was glorified. And he accepted it. Paul's using an Old Testament imagery of the sacrificial system. There was the altar of incense. You'd burn the incense that, that God had ordained. And that would be a sweet smell in the temple rising up to the heavens. Of course, you also had the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, the guilt offerings. And all those altars together, there's smoke rising to the sky. And we're told that that is a pleasing offering to God. He would accept that. Because the Old Testament, that was how they were reminded of the cost of their sin. But in the New Testament, we're told that the believer's body is a living sacrifice. Everything we say, do, or think is an opportunity to glorify God. Well... What about this? Doesn't the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? Well then, forget that. No, that, that's carnal. That's physical and spiritual. That's, that's not spiritual at all. No, no, no. The Bible says the love 
of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's a difference. Money is not evil. Money is a tool. And it's a tool to glorify God with. Just like your work. Just like our play. Just like uh, having your neighbors over for a meal. Everything we say and do is an opportunity to glorify God. And I love how the Philippians didn't look at all the other churches and say, well, what are the other churches giving to Paul? You know, because they're always nosy like that. Well, what are you giving? Because the answer is a big fat nothing. No other churches were giving to Paul's ministry. The Philippians didn't let that stop them, though. They said, we want to give. We want to be on the ground floor because God is worthy. And we want his worth to be proclaimed at Thessalonica, Philippi, Greece, Israel, North Sarasota. He is worthy. And we want people here to know the joy that he gives through Jesus Christ. So can we run our race with joy? Yes. Because God has given us everything. Meditate on the cross this morning. My God will supply every need of yours. Okay, so it sounds like God's written this check. This check. And the balance of his account is going to cover every single one of our needs. Well, how do we know that, that check's not going to bounce one of these days? Here's how you know he's good for it. Because it's according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus runs out of wealth and he runs out of grace and he runs out of patience and provision, then we will run out, which is to say never. Kids, Jesus can be trusted to meet every single one of our needs. That's why we pray. That's why we keep reading our Bible. Because we love him and we want to think about him. We want his joy to cover us. He is our treasure that we found. And our Heavenly Father has bankrolled us. He's given us a big check that's going to cover everything. And when we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the down payment. He's with us, never to leave us. How do we know that there's heaven and we're going to have a place reserved for us? Because Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. And he's the proof that one day this will take place. And out of the security of our relationship with our Father, we can go and make disciples this week. I don't, I don't know what this week looks like. I, I'm done trying to figure out because the last two weeks, there, there have been some opportunities that just popped up. Had no clue they were coming. Didn't plan for it. But once they happened, I knew that God would provide for it. Because he's not going to bring you to a part of your life that his grace is not sufficient to cover. Since my grace is sufficient for every need. So go make disciples and, and give money towards missions and to support the mission of the church. What do you have to lose? Nothing. But we have everything to gain when we glorify God in all that we say and do.